Lord, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. The Lord, hallelujah, I shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. I shall not be moved. When my burden is heavy, I shall not be moved. When my burden is heavy, I shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. I shall not be moved. When my burdens shake me, I shall not be moved. When my fingers shake me, I shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. Good morning again, church family. It's so good to get to stand before you again. You know, we always hate when Brother John can't be with us, but uh, I have been really excited to, to bring forth this message ever since he, he asked me to do so. Uh, so if you would, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35 is what we'll where we'll start at. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35. It reads, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude set about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning, Lord, so thankful for each and every one that's within earshot. Lord, we do pray that you'd be with Brother John as he's at Big Creek. Lord, that you would just bless that service. Lord, that you'd save the souls. And Lord, we pray the same for, for here this morning. Lord, that, that you would use this word. Lord, that you'd send it forth. You'd prick our hearts. Lord, you'd convict souls. Lord, you'd bring, bring them to your saving knowledge before it's eternally too late. Lord, I do pray for, for myself, Lord, that you'd give, give me the the wisdom to, to speak out of your word, Lord, that you would give me the clarity of mind, Lord, that I may uh, decipher it properly. Lord, we pray all this would be to your glory. Say this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, as we look here, and he's in, in verse 33, and he says, Who is my mother or my brethren? I, I, 
I want to bring a, a message to you to today called a family united. Because family is such a blessing. You know, to be able to have a, a, a brother, to be able to have a, a, a good mother and a father, to, have, uh, to be able to spend time with, with my grandparents. Family is such a, 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 a true blessing, but if we're honest at times, it can also be a little bit difficult to navigate. Now, there, there's so many feelings there's so many things that maybe we don't see eye to eye on, but, but we have such a great love for each other. But you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that the family of God is different than that. It's just a straight blessing. It, it, it's just a blessing in the fact that the father, the head, the, the leader of the household is at the center of it all. It, it is the very focal point of the family. It even says in 1 Corinthians 11 that, that the uh, head of every man is Christ. Whenever we, we, we come and, and, and we join the, the family of God through salvation, the center of our attention is Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God. And that's why this passage of Scripture has really just been all over me this week. It, it's so special because when this chapter opens up in, in, in chapter 3, we, we see that, that Jesus walks into to the synagogue and there is, is a man within that synagogue with what the Bible says a withered hand. He has some sort of, of, of crippling deficiency to, to his hand and, and the Lord looks and, and, and He heals that man. He restores his hand. And it was in that one miraculous event that a multitude really begins to to flock after Jesus. But it's not a multitude of, of pure hearts per se. Some are coming because they desire that same sort of restoration. They simply want Jesus for what He can do for them. They come looking for a miracle. They come looking for, for, for satisfaction. They, they come for, for things that can't be done by this world. And then we also see that, that, that some come to hinder Him. The Pharisees, they, they went forth straight after that, that, that miracle and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against Him about how they might destroy Him. So we see that the multitude that, that's flocking after Jesus at this time isn't all of pure heart. There, there's some who, who are coming for healings. There are some looking for ways to, 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 to basically make Him be quiet, to, to, to take away His ministry, to, to destroy Him, to bring accusation against Him. But nonetheless, a multitude is following Him. And then we also see in this chapter where Jesus ordains the twelve disciples. So we know that in, in, in this multitude, there's, there's a great mixture of people. People looking for healing. People looking for, for, for hindrance. And then there's truly some there that desire to hear the Word of God. Desire to, to be taught. To desire to, to follow after Him. And we see this multitude continue to grow. And we see these factions continue to grow. As, as uh, chapter 3, verse 20 uh, he, they're saying that he's doing all this because he's that of Beelzebub. He's that of the devil. And Jesus looks at him and says, that's foolish. Satan can't cast out Satan. That makes no sense. So as Jesus speaks here, at the end of chapter 3, there's just this great multitude that's encompassed him. That of, uh, of a diversity of mind. And he looks to him. And he says, who is thy mother and who is thy brethren? Scripture shows us time and time again 
that people are flocking him. And, and, and this is uh, such a, a, a great multitude. It's so great and, and it's so tight with, with people looking uh, for, to, to Jesus for, for uh, a, a multitude of things. And a message comes to him, your brothers and your mother desire you to go be with them. Now, if, if you remember, in this time period, the, the family dynamic is very strong. When the, the family dynamic is something that, that's very important. And we also must realize that we haven't heard of, of Joseph, the earthly father, since that time where, where Jesus was left in, in, at the temple in, in his adolescence age. We, we haven't heard anything of him. So whenever Mary and, and, and the brethren come forth, some would, would, might look and say, that was Jesus' responsibility to, to go forth. He, he, he very well may have been the, the eldest in the household at that time. Whenever his mother and, and, and brethren call for him, some would look and, and consider that maybe Jesus should have went. Maybe he should have went and, and, and taken care. Some would even uh, make, make, make an accusation that, that Jesus made an error in not going. Some would say it was downright disrespectful because it says in 1 Timothy 5.8, If any provide not for his own, and specifically for those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and is worth an infidel. But let me tell you, those sort of accusations are simply blasphemous. Because the fact that, that, that Jesus... He looked out into this crowd, and although he had every right, it would have been perfectly acceptable for, for him to close up the scrolls, conclude his messages, and say, my mother and my brother need me. He looked out and he said, your all's need is just as great. Your all's need is greater, because who is my mother? Who is my brethren? It's any that do the will of the Father. And church, that's... And it's so encouraging to realize that our Father in Heaven, who sent His only Son, His Son looked down and He said, these people have needs that are just as great as the ones who have taken care of me until now. The need to, to, to hear my message, the need to experience my family is far greater than any food or any responsibility within the house. It's simply awesome. And it shows us Jesus looking out into a crowd saying, you need to hear my message. You need to, 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 to see these teachings. You need to get a glimpse of my power. You need truly an understanding of who I am. That need is far greater than anything else. He looked at them and He said, you need to experience what it is to be within my family. The greatest family that one could ever be a part of. And that's a family that's united through the blood. You know, if I'm going to find out if you're truly in my family, we're going to go take a blood test. And we're going to see if we're truly family. And in church, it's the very same way within the family of God. Because we only become family through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you are my family if you do the will of my Father. 
Well, what's the will of the Father? I can assure you this, it's not of that of any of works. We don't get into the will of Father by joining the church. We don't get into the will of the Father by being baptized or even growing up in church and, and, and doing all the things. The will of the Father is this. Turn with me to, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 35 through 40. Tell us exactly what the will of the Father is. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at that last day. The will of the Father is that we join the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through looking at the Son and believing on Him as the Son of God. The only way to the Father. The will of the Father is is that the sinner come to, to believe. And you know, it's at that very moment when, when our mind finally is opened up to the fact that this Word of God is true. And that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He did live a sinless life. That He was persecuted, crushed and crucified upon a cross, not for His own sin, for He was sinless but for the simple fact that He bore our sins. And that He was laid in a borrowed tomb after His crucifixion for three days, only then to rise again on the third day. And that wasn't speculation. That wasn't rumor. But that He appeared to over 500 proving of His resurrection. It's when our mind can finally glimpse on that. That then we turn and, and we repent of our sins and we follow after Him that we are entered in to the family of God. That's the message that Jesus had a desire to bring out into this multitude. It's the message that He desires for each and every one to hear today. That we can be part of the family of God if we will simply believe upon the Son. Being part of the family is not something that we should take lightly, but something that we should truly find to be a blessing. If we look in 1 John chapter 3, Scripture says, Behold, what manner of the love hath the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that. When we shall appear, we shall be like Him, 
for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Scripture tells us right here that after we believe, after we repent from our wicked ways and we trust the Father, we become that of the sons of God. What an awesome knowledge to try and wrap our heads around. The very creator of the universe, the one who spoke it into existence in six literal days, the one who formed me in my mother's womb, the one who has done everything that, that has ever been done. I'm a child of His. And all it takes is to simply believe. Turn with me to, to, to Romans chapter 8. This once again confirms that after we believe, we are adopted in to the family of God. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, listen here, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. That, that word Abba, it's that of Daddy. It's that of, uh, of a young child looking up to his father. We've been adopted and, and we ought to have such a, a, a great praise for that, such a, a great spirit of rejoicing to realize that he didn't have to come in and adopt me. He should have left me in that orphanage awaiting hell. But he didn't. And not only did he adopt me, I'm not some, some red-headed stepchild that he puts off in a corner and says, I'll, I'll give you your bare minimums. You know, we hear that all the time in, in today's modern society. Foster kids brought in and, and, and so many families just bringing them in just to, to get that check. And, and, they'll, and they'll put them in, in the bare minimums. But you know, our Father in Heaven, He didn't do that. He says, I've brought you in, I've adopted you, and now you're co-heirs with my only begotten Son. The only begotten Son. It's that simple, church. If we will believe in our heart that God hath raised Christ from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved, is what it says in Romans chapter 10. It's that simple to get into the house or the family of God. If we can simply believe the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believe on His shedding blood for our atonement. And you can be one of those people that Jesus looks into here in Mark chapter 3 and says, you are just as important to me as Mary. You are just as important as my half-brothers that I've grown up with. I have just as much necessity to you as I do to them. Now let's look on down into Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 10, I should say. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
For the Scripture says, Whoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. That's the entrance into the family of God. What a marvelous work that that was, that Jesus Christ done on our behalf. Such a work that we can be called, adopted, and co-heirs of Christ. So that we can be called family. And it's because of that work that I have such a desire. Father, I want to do something back. I don't want to just sit and consume your goodness. You brought me out of the the miry muck of of an orphanage destined for hell. I don't want to just sit and consume your goodness. Let me do something for you, Father. You see, that the family of God is a family that's not only united in the blood of Christ, but it's also united in the fact that I want to bring glory to my Father. A family united around bringing glory to the Father. You see, in Luke chapter 2, we saw Jesus get left behind as an adolescent child. And for days, his mother and his father made a journey back until they finally realized young Jesus isn't here. And so they journey days on back. And when they find him, he's sitting inside the synagogue, confounding minds with his wisdom and his knowledge of Scripture, with the questions that he's asking these scribes and these Pharisees. And his mother comes and says, Why hast thou dealt with us this way? And his answer, Dost thou not know that I must be about my father's business? As a young adolescent child, that's the standard that Christ set as a child of God. That in each and everything I need to be doing, I need to be about my father's business. I mean, think about that as a young 10, 11, 12 year old Jesus. I'm not worried about where mom and dad's at. I'm not worried about what my brothers are doing. I'm worried about being within the synagogue, bringing my Father glory. And we're co-heirs. We're co-heirs there. And then that's the standard He set. That's the standard that we have to live up to. A standard that glorifies the Father. And not only did Jesus make the standard... But he taught it as well. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Here we see Jesus preaching his famous message on the mount. And he says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth light unto all that is in the house. He says, Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the standard that Jesus Christ taught to the multitudes. Let your light so shine, not for you to get the glory, not for you to get the pat on the back, not for you to, to for, for people to look and say, wow, you're so wise, you have it all together, but so that they can look to your works and say, Lord, thank you for the wisdom that you've bestowed upon them. Lord, thank you for allowing them the, the gifts that you've given them. Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation. That's the standard is that, God, let me work for you in a manner that requires no thanks, but in a manner that brings forth you all the glory. A, a, a desire that, Lord, I just want people to understand who you are. I, I, I just want to do things in, in a manner that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing forth, I, I'm blessing you. You know, so many times the, the, the modern Christian will pray, Lord, bless us. Showers of, of blessings we plead. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. But what if we had the same desire, Lord, let me be a blessing to you as we had a desire for Lord to bless us. This same sentiment was preached some 30 years after the death of Christ as Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, verse 11, Peter says to the, uh, to the persecuted church, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Peter looks at these Christians who, who are just being punished mightily under the hands of, uh, of Nero. And he says, when you speak, make sure that you're speaking that of God. Whatever you're doing, make sure that it's not about your ability, but the power of the Holy Spirit which dwells within you. Because man deserves no glory. We want to do this in a manner that God is glorified in all things that we do. Because child of God, it's our duty as children to be thoughtful about each and every thing that we do and say. Each and every word that comes out of our mouth. You know, Scripture says that, that, that we're going to be held accountable for every vain word that we speak. We've got to realize that each and everything that we do is a reflection of our life. Each and every word that we say is a reflection about how we feel about the Father. You know, as, as parents and, and, and grandparents, the way that our children act is a direct reflection of us. If they're misbehaving, then that looks bad. That looks bad on, on the parent. And you know, as children of God, when, when we neglect to, to think about what we're doing, what we're saying, how we're acting, that, that's a true reflection of how we feel about the Father. 
We ought to be careful with our testimony. Careful with our day-to-day attitude. Careful with what we give priority to. Because it's, it's one simple impulsive mistake that can really tarnish a testimony. One slip of the tongue. One bad attitude. One misplaced priority. Tarnishes a work of much time. Tarnishes even the, the, the ministry of the church. How many times it, it's, it, it's been heavily within my family. If that's what a church is like, I want nothing part of it. You know, it really had nothing to do with the church. It had to, the, the, the deeds of one man formed that sort of attitude. The same one deed of, uh, of our doing can form that same attitude throughout our community. If that, that's where so-and-so goes. So I don't want to be a part of that. We've got to be so important to realize that in each and every word that I do, each and everything that I say, I want to bring glory to the Father because I don't want to tarnish. I don't want to mess anything up. I want to be as useful as I possibly can to bring forth glory to my Father. We must be thoughtful in all that we do and say, knowing I've been bought with a great price. I've been bought with, with, with the price of the blood of Christ. Therefore, I ought to do everything I can. Say, Lord, I'll never be able to pay you back. But I sure do want to try. I sure do want to thank you for that which you've done. And the, really, the only way that I can thank you is through the words of my mouth and, and the actions of my testimony. We ought to bring glory to the Father who, who paid that great price. I, I can't imagine it as, as I look out and I see Lila sitting there in the middle. I, I can't imagine to, to even fathom I'm going to raise her up. I'm going to raise her up and, and I'm going to lay her down for any of you. I, I can't imagine that. I, I think of... of, of of Isaac as he takes up Jacob onto that mount. And he was so focused on bringing forth the Father glory that he was willing to lay that promised son down. Because he knew the Lord was going to take care of it. And man, what a testimony to think. We're still talking about that sort of testimony thousands of years after it happened. How long will our testimony be remembered? Will we have any sort of action that brings forth that sort of glory to God that, that, that people will be talking about it? Even a hundred years after our past, if the Lord tarry. We ought to be bringing forth the glory to the Father who paid the price. Paid the price with His only begotten Son. That, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because the truth is, we ought to be asking ourselves daily, Moment by moment, before every word that we speak, Lord, how is this going to affect it? How is this going to affect my testimony for you? And let me be the first to confess, I'm, I'm at times very sarcastic. Unthoughtful. About, Lord, how does that really affect the love and grace and mercy that you bestowed upon me? How does this affect the message that you may later 
bring forth through me. And the fact is that that sort of responsibility ought to make us really think before we speak. And if we take it a step farther and and, and really dive personally into the application of this, at the end of each day, I really ought to be even reflecting on the opportunities that I was given. Did I miss an opportunity? Did I begin uh, a work of, of, of erosion of my testimony? And if I did, I ought to be humbling myself in prayer, first praying for forgiveness to the Father, and then seeking out that individual and saying, Hey, I, I spoke without thinking. I, I done without thinking. And, and, and I don't want anything to come between us. I don't want anything to, to tarnish the testimony that, that the Lord's doing within me and seeking reconciliation on that action. For Jesus taught that it's better for a millstone to be tied around the neck of an individual than for anyone to cause a little one to stumble. That's how important or how important our testimony is. And we ought to take it just that seriously. Each and every word, each and every action that we do, bringing glory to the Father ought to be an important thing in the life of a child of God. Because it's through bringing glory to God, having that sort of mindset, that I have the desire, I want to be closer. I want to have more knowledge. I want to know more. I want to, I want to do all that I can to truly draw closer to Him. Because a family ought to be united around the desire for growth. I want you to think about that for a moment. Have you ever heard someone say, I hope I'm the end of my family name. I hope to to be the final spot in that Carter name. Have you ever heard a, a, a young person say, I hope I never get older. You know, I remember as, as, as a child growing up, I just couldn't wait until I turned 16. I'd right, get that driver's license, drive around. And then once I got to 16, you know, I, I didn't stop there and just say, well, I hope I stay 16 forever. I, I couldn't wait to turn 18 and, and graduate from high school. And then the same thing continued. That, 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 that was all fine and well. I was glad to have that accomplishment. But now I, I can't wait to turn 22 and graduate from college. And after that, I just couldn't wait to get married. After that, I just couldn't wait to have a family. And now, while, while I wouldn't mind if slow, time slowed down a little bit, I do still desire, I, I want to grow. I want to be the best husband that I can be. I want to be the best father that I can be. I want to be the best servant of God that I can be. I still have a desire for growth. And, and that ought to be the desire of, of a Christian. Since we've been adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ, we ought to always have the desire for growth. Never becoming complacent in our relationship with God. Growth that I may be used to to advance the kingdom of God. Turn with me to to Isaiah chapter 6.
Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, we see Isaiah say, Also I heard the verse of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Allow me to be useful to you, Lord. But you see, this wasn't just some sort of revelation that that Isaiah woke up and said, I just want to be useful. This was after a a vision where where, where his eyes had been opened up to the kingdom of God and he saw the, 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 the holiness of God sitting upon his throne. And he looked and, and he saw the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And he looked upon it in that vision and he said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. He cried out, I'm a sinner. Unworthy. And it says that an angel t- took a, something off the altar and, and placed it on his lips. And, and, and at that moment, his sins were forgiven. He'd, he'd experienced that atonement. He'd experienced that, that blood of Jesus Christ that we experience today. He had been adopted into the family of God. And at that very moment, he said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. I want to be used to glorify you. I want to be used to advance your kingdom. To grow what, Lord, you've done in me. See, church, if we've been adopted and brought into the family of God, then we ought to have a desire to grow that family. As I said, it would be so foolish and and so irrelevant to say, I I want to be the last in my family. I I want to die the very last one. that's, That's unheard of. But you know, as Christians, sometimes that's the mentality that we fall into. I'm not going to go out into my workplace and let them know of the hope that I have. I'm not going to let them know that, hey, I'm an adopted child of God. I'm a co-heir of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go out into the community and let them know what my Father has done for me. You know, we have several in the school systems and I ventured to say after a birthday, after Christmas, after some sort of great event that the family had, that that child decided to tell everybody, hey, listen to what I got for Christmas. Listen to what me and my family done on vacation. They have a desire to, to let people know the good thing that happened within their family. And as a child of God, the greatest thing that could have ever happened has happened when that blood is shed upon us. When that blood covers our sin for the atonement. And we ought to have a desire to, to, to spread that. We ought to have a zeal to cry out, Lord, use me. Send me. Here I am. I, I want to do something for you. I want to share this great salvation. I want to see lost souls saved before it's eternally too late. But I agree that that could look different for many people. Not everybody's going to stand in a pulpit and bring forth a message. Not every person's going to write a, 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 a touching song. Not everybody's going to be the, even just the best with, with communicating. It's going to look different for everybody. For some, maybe it's just a sense of radical obedience. Where they do things that 
really make no sense. But they do so because God has called them to do so. If we look in Matthew chapter 4, we see the calling of the first four disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brethren, Simon, whom he called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And, and straightway they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they were in a ship with, with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed after him. You say, Jeremy, I'm, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not one that has the courage and the confidence to go banging on doors and inviting people to church. I'm not one who to, to, to go and, and, and really just talk to people. I'm, I'm withdrawn. Okay. Well, here we saw four men just sitting on some boats. And when Jesus called out their name, they immediately stopped what they were doing and they simply followed Him. What if we just had such a desire for growth to say, Lord, here I am, send me. I'll drop whatever I'm doing and we'll follow after You. I don't know what it's going to look like. Notice here that when Jesus called these four men, He didn't say, come with me. We're going to journey on to Capernaum. We're going to do some healings. We're going to do some teachings. We'll go out and we'll, we'll do some evangelism. We'll do this for about two and a half, three years. And then you can go on back and you can do your thing. No, he just said, follow me. Didn't tell him how long. Didn't tell him where. Didn't tell him any sort of accommodations. Just follow me. They dropped what they were doing. And they followed. In church, there was, there was a great commission given to these leaders of the first church. A, a commission to go and spread the gospel. It says to go and, and, and to teach and to preach, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do we have that same sort of radical uh, obedience to say, okay, I'm willing to go forth and do whatever, Lord, you can bless me to do. I'm not going to go on my own ability. I'm not going to go on my own wisdom. I'm just going to drop what I have, my priorities, and follow after you. Are we, like others in history, willing to put our priorities in check? To be obedient to the Father. You think of these, these great men and who laid down their lives for the true doctrines of Christ, went forth preaching the gospel until their lives were persecuted and brought to death because their greatest desire was that the kingdom of God would be advanced, that, that the true doctrines of Jesus Christ would persevere. Church, that's the sort of priority that's the sort of radical obedience that our nation needs today. For that's how God has used people to advance His kingdom. It's people who are just willing to be obedient. 
Other people he's used, if we'll turn to Acts chapter 9, who are, who are just, so, just so faithful. They're willing to, to go into, into situations just faithful that the Lord's going to provide. In Acts chapter 9, it, it says in verses 10 through 17, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, notice what he says, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call upon thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Listen here to verse 17. And Ananias went his way. And he entered into the house. And he put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's really all we know about Ananias. Is that when the Lord called out to him in a vision... He said, here I am, Lord. And when the Lord told him, this is what I want you to do, he said, Lord, that's crazy. Paul's an awful man. He's that who does awful things to the Christian people. He has all the power to bind me up and throw me into a prison. But Lord, if you say he's a chosen vessel, if you say that you're going to use him, I'll go that way. I'll knock on that door. I'll deliver that sort of message. And you think about that. That fulfilled the prophecy that that was given to Paul. Jesus said he was given a vision that a man named Ananias would come and lay hands on him and, and restore his sight. And it was through his usefulness. It was through his willingness. It was through his desire, Lord, I want to be a useful disciple. I want to advance your kingdom. That the Lord fulfilled that. And I believe we all know how useful Paul was. How many have been brought to, to, to Christ through the ministry of Paul, who was once called Saul. Ananias realized quickly, if I want to be used by God, I've got to submit to him in faith. I've got to trust his plan overall. And that same standard stands true today. If we desire as true children of God to be soul, to see souls saved, to see people added to the family, then we've got to live a life faithfully accepting God's call in our life, regardless how dangerous it may seem, regardless how uncomfortable, how crazy, or even how minuscule it may seem. 
Because let me tell you, and, and we, we won't turn there just, just in sake of time, but in Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus. Right before he's arrested. And, and he cries out, Father, thy will be done. Yeah, if it be your will, let, let this cup pass from me. But if it be thy will, thy will be done. He had such a desire to advance the kingdom of God, to fulfill the will of the Father. I'm willing to go forth to this persecution that I know is coming. I know the lashes that are about to strike my back. I know the hairs that are about to be pulled from my face. I know the crown of thorns that awaits my head. I know the, 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 the nails that await my hands and my feet. But Lord, if it be thy will, I'll go. I'll do it. That's a family that's united around fulfilling the desires of our Father. So as I close, and, and Brother, Brother Jim prepares a song, I want to remind you to be a part of that family. To be a part of that family of God is, is to be a part of something that's eternally special. Something that Romans chapter 8 tells us that we can never be removed from. Once we've been adopted into that family, we're family everlasting. We can never be removed or exiled from that family. And I tell you what, church, that ought to bring a true spirit of praise within our hearts. I'm a co-heir of Christ eternally. And if this is something that maybe you've not experienced yet, not experienced that adoption. All it takes is belief. All it takes is, is a belief within thine heart and confession with thy mouth. And thou shalt be saved. Brother Jim, you come.